Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is April 25th, 2016. This is episode 161. I'm Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, my always seeing things through orange glasses, Jake English. For those checking in with us, you should be following us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also check us out at baltimoresportsreport.com, where we're proud members of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can also check us out at baseballtalkradio.com, where you can come across all kinds of weird and odd podcasts for baseball. Uh, Check us out on third-party platforms such as Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist, and uh, if you get over to iTunes and subscribe to us, that'd be great. Rate and review the show, and hey... We got a reviewer this week. We got a review. We, we don't do a good enough job of this, but I just want to thank uh, the ranting Oriole for going out there uh, and leaving us a nice little comment. We really do appreciate that. It does help us out a lot. Um, you should also check us out on social media at facebook.com slash BEVcast or just type in Bird's Eye View. It'll come right up. Or check us out on Twitter at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. And with that, let's go to the drink of the week. Jake, what are you in? vibing on this week my drink of the week is a ipa from dogfish head it is the squall mm, yeah uh, ipa it's really good i've never had this before i was i was really impressed with it but there's another reason that i'm enjoying it so much uh i'm drinking it out of a pint glass from the hit point brewing company ah, yeah. not something we've touched on in just a little bit but look out birdland uh hit point will be making its way down into maryland soon enough and you should definitely check it out Jake, I'm going with the classic gin and tonic over here, but I'm adding a little bit of a Baltimore twist to it. I've actually added some Baltimore Shot Tower gin in here and uh, highly recommended so far. I was a little skeptical at first. I'm like, hmm, but uh, highly recommended. Definitely check out the Baltimore Whiskey Company who provides Baltimore Shot Tower gin. I I agree. It was excellent. Let me just lay this on you real quick. Okay. I also had a local Maryland branded gin uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know the bar Secrets in Ocean City? Uh, no. Yeah. They also have... I'm not a 40-year-old man, so why would I go there? They also apparently have a, a branded gin of their own. Oh, do that, Jake. This was a terrible mistake, wasn't it? Do you know how good it was? I bet it wasn't good at all. It was a land of regret. Yes. It was a land of regret but uh shot tower was excellent yeah uh you can also check us out on untap for our local beer choices um at magn8606 and you're at jake e4025 right that's correct well with that i think it's go time we go ahead and figure out who is nursing some boo-boos Can I put the kibosh on using the term nursing the boo-boos? No, we're going to keep up that one in the future. I was afraid of that. 
if we get rid of boo-boos, then we got to get rid of Doc McStuffins. Doc McStuffins is very popular with our audience. <laughs> you all have massive problems or little children. So the big news, of course, this week is Giovanni Gardo going down to the DL with shoulder tendonitis. Uh, I can't say that we are completely surprised by this in regards to the reduced velocity that uh, he had. Um, but Giovanni Gardo, obviously, uh, somewhat of a loss, actually, because he was going to be your workhorse pitcher. The Orioles did sign him to basically pitch 180-plus innings. And uh, it certainly doesn't look like he's going to be able to accomplish that, which certainly decreases his value to a certain extent. It'll be interesting to see how how long he's on the shelf. He's on the 15-day DL. Um, signs from the MRI have been good because there's nothing new sure. on the MRI. Now, remember, there were some things that were on the MRI before, but there's nothing unexpected. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how long this lasts, if it's the regular 15 days and he's back, or if it's the regular 15 days plus some rehab starts, and if he's ready at the end of those rehab starts. I've got to think it's going to be at least a month. I mean, it's shoulder tendonitis. I mean, it's going to take some time for him to rehab and get that velocity back up. He just is going to get a quarter zone shot, and you know it's going to take some time. I mean, look at the progress that Kevin Gossman made. It took him about a month in order to come back. So uh, I'm looking at Giovanni Gargato coming back You know, maybe first week of June, basically. Well, let's throw the the uh, orange colored glasses on for a second. Is that necessarily a terrible thing to have a pitcher fresh and ready to go uh, when you need them the most? Um, I guess it's a question of how well the Orioles succeed with Mike Wright and Tyler Wilson filling in for him. Fair question. Yeah. All right. The other one that came up this week, and I think all of Orioles Twitter panicked is the best way to describe it. Adam Jones left halfway through the game at one point this week, um, and it was related to a stomach flu. When uh, I saw him leave the game, I felt sick to my stomach. Yeah. So everyone was just like, oh, my gosh, you re-aggravated the oblique. You know, it's going to be, you know, out for the rest of the season or something terrible. And then it was, well, you know, he just had a little tummy ache, basically. He had a tummy ache. Yeah. With the boo-boos. With the boo-boos. Next, I want to talk Hashtag, a little... Hashtag, stay hungry. <laughs> Jeez. I want to talk a little bit about J.J. Hardy. Okay. Look, is he hurt or isn't he? Uh, he's got blisters on his heels, but uh, besides that, no, he's just an old man. He needs to take more breaks. Every time it seems like we watch J.J. Hardy move, I ask myself, is he hurt? And Masson got into it the other night on Sunday, or the other afternoon on Sunday. Uh, he was out of the game, yeah. and the telecast played some video from Saturday where Hardy had run down the line at first real hard. Of course, he was called out because he's J.J. Hardy, um, and then was hobbling in the dugout is the best way I can describe it uh, and wincing in pain and they they were wondering if you know he, he had some things going on look either be hurt or don't I can't handle the will he won't he please don't be hurt JJ um all right well with that that's pretty much everyone that's on the medical wing um you want to go to 140 characters less absolutely this week on the twitters now the first one really grinds my gears this uh, tweet comes to us from rock kabako who is not the subject of my r ire but the tweet is as follows this has to be a crew chief review since jay's lost their challenge in other words losing your challenge means nothing i hate the fact that you can beg and borrow and steal challenges either have a challenge system or don't have a challenge system but don't have a system where a manager can ask really nicely and get a second third or tenth review you have a challenge, you burn it, and maybe if, you, if you're right, you get another one. But you can't continually go back to the well. It makes the system useless. It's almost like the Federal Reserve. You just keep printing money if you need it. Now, I'm just going to take this soapbox. I'm going to tuck it back underneath the table. All right. Next week goes from some rock with an add-on from Matt Kremnitzer. 
Family Matter, uh, Rock Post Rock Rocco, Ramon Martinez filling in for Dave Wallace. Matt Kremenser follows up, and you can follow him at Matt Kremenser, who, of course, contributes to Camden Depot at Mass and Rock. Where's Wallace, String? Where's Wallace? Well done. That's a, that's a solid, solid reference. Yes. Uh, here's a tweet from Justin McGuire, who tweets at SN. The Orioles used to have an awful pitcher named Jake Arrieta. I wonder if they're related. That's a good question. One would think they have to be. There can't be that many Jake Arrieta's out there. It's not a common last name. All right. Next tweet's yours, because this is a dad moment you know, level accomplished, basically. So you've leveled up as a dad based off this last tweet. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I um I tweeted out a video of my son Henry and his first at bat in uh, in T ball. He made uh, excellent contact and ran himself down to the first base line. Uh, and the tweet ran as follows: Henry's first at bat already better than his dad can i just say i watched this video a few times the exit ball velocity is quite poor and uh it's a clear example of babbit in action and i don't know what was going on with the fielders out there but uh they need to get it together this was a clear out okay okay first of all there were some very interesting butterflies in right field okay you're not paying enough attention to that jake you shouldn't have been out in right field that's what the field for the kids All right, this next tweet comes from Utah Street Report, our good buddies over there. You can follow them at Utah ST Report. Bordick said Orioles has the best X in the game. Drink. Oh, dear God. I'd be dead. This could be get really dangerous really quickly. Whew. Look, the spin that Mike Bordick likes to put on things, and let's just be honest, Masson and Journal likes to throw on things, has been fairly exorbitant. And I don't know about you. But I've been left with a few conflicted feelings for the early part of the season. Let's get into them now. You know, Scotty, we've we've done a lot with this podcast. Yes, we've um, we've celebrated highs, and we've we've um, you know we've dealt with lows. And in many ways, this podcast has served for the both of us as some therapy. Uh, we've actually had an episode where where we we did some some therapy. I have feelings mm. about this season. I know that you have some feelings too. And sometimes those feelings, they're conflicted. And so I think that we just need to, to take a look at a couple of, of different players and just talk through these, these conflicting feelings. Do, do you have a moment for this? I absolutely have a moment for discussing conflicted feelings. I thought that's what this podcast was all about. I, I want to start with Mike Wright. All right? Okay. And, and I have to be perfectly honest with you. Before his most recent start in Kansas City, I was ready to proclaim Mike Wright, Mike Wright as Tommy Hunter 2.0, right? A guy with an electric fastball who simply can't get through the lineup enough times to be an effective starter. This is a guy I felt should have been a bullpen arm, and a decent one, probably. And after all, Brad Brock is not going to be a secret forever, right? 
But the Kansas City start showed me a glimmer of whatever it was that Buck Showalter saw in spring training that made him bring right north with the club. He came back out for the seventh inning and completely imploded. And I'm not really sure what to make of that. Was it that he's Tommy Hunter 2.0? Was it that he's not stretched out enough here in the early going? Was it misfortunate sequencing? Are the defending World Series champions simply going to ambush pitchers sometimes? Look, I'm not making excuses for Mike Wright. I was very, very grumpy after Sunday's loss. But I find myself now, more than I was before, curious about Mike Wright's next start, even in spite of myself. I was waiting for Mike Wright to be sent down to the minors so that we could get him out of the way. And that Sunday start reeled me back in. Scotty, help me make sense of this. All right, so you know I'm not a big fan of Mike Wright. I don't think that he's a really has a great arsenal of pitches. I don't think he really displays a mastery to a certain regard. But I'll be honest with you, Sunday's game was pretty impressive. He went pretty predominantly with the two-seam fastball. And by going with that two-seam fastball, he was really taking advantage of the Kansas City Royals lineup um, and, and, and kind of elevating some pitches and basically having them make weak contact slash, uh, you know, get some strikeouts that, you know, hasn't been seen often by this team. So, you know, Mike Wright, in all honesty, pitched a pretty decent game. Um, and Caleb Joseph deserves some credit to that as well, of calling an excellent game. But Mike Wright is going to be Mike Wright. He's going to be a be- at best a fist starter. Um, you know, he's going to pitch, you know, six Ks per nine. He doesn't strike me as anything more than, like you said, a Tommy Hunter 2.0. So the question that needs to be asked for this team right now, is it okay for Tommy Hunter 2.0 to be in the bullpen or should he be in the rotation right now? And with the current situation with Giovanni Garrido, it kind of requires Mike Wright to be in the starting rotation because the only other option you have from a starting pitcher is Vance Worley. And if I'm choosing between Mike Wright and Vance Worley, I'm going to choose Mike Wright as my fifth starter. I'm not happy about it, but I'm choosing Mike Wright as my fifth starter. What does it say about me that I was moved by Sunday's start? I don't think it. I mean, Mike Wright's start on Sunday was actually one of the more impressive starts that I've seen him pitch. And I'm going to throw out last year when he came up against mm-hmm. the Angels and struck out people because there again there was no book out on him at that time. Yeah, those first two starts, seven innings, he was impressive in both of them, and then it just derailed. But I thought for overall, he pitched a pretty decent game, and then he got to the seventh inning and got shellacked. And whether or not he should have been able to come out or not, that's something that we can you know discuss at a later point. But Mike Wright pitched a pretty effective game for being a fifth starter. If we wanted more from him, he's not going to give it. Six innings is all you're going to get from Mike Wright. All right. All right. I, I, think, I, I think I've cleared up my emotions on, on this one. But, Scott, I'm worried about you. Yeah. You, you, seem, you seem down. You seem like you got a lot on your, on your plate over there. Tell me, what's, what's troubling you? Well, it's not so much troubling me. I think it's what's troubling Jabby Burns out there because Jonathan Scope, as of lately, has been well. He's regressing is is a certain aspect. You know, everyone was coming into the season talking about Jonathan Scope's going to have this all star breakout season. Um, you know, look at his numbers for 2015. He's obviously going to dominate in 2016, and you know the numbers just don't back that up. His average so far this year is 220 on base percentage, 258. His weighted runs created plus is only 91. Compare that to last year where his weighted runs created plus was 112. Something is off with Jonathan Scope. 
and I haven't been able to put my finger onto it. So I, I decided to delve a little bit deeper in the numbers, and it, it kind you? of you, yeah, you, shocking. And it kind of surprised me actually because it's like, well, he's probably striking out more. Is the best way I can I could think of it. And you know, looking at his K percentage actually so far this season, uh, last year he was at twenty four point six percent for K. This year he's all the way down to seventeen point seven percent. So his strikeout rate has improved. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting was just in terms of driven balls, his line drive percentage is down to 12.5%, which seems extremely low. Um, and, you know, he is also pulling the ball at, at his highest clip um, ever since 2014. So he had a poor season in 2014. He had a poor season in 2016. Each season, poor line drive percentage, heavy pull percentage. I'm wondering if we're starting to see some bad habits creep in, but the plate discipline is improved it looks like he's swinging at the ball more outside the zone uh, less outside the zone and he's making better contact so i don't know what to make with jonathan scope um i think he's making good contact with the ball it just doesn't seem like he's making good enough contact to basically get line drives at this time so i, I guess my biggest concern is what is wrong with jonathan scope and can he ever become this perennial all-star like jabby Burns has promised me well, let me ask you this. Yeah. Do we have enough to say that 2016 is is truly down, or is it possible that he's just in the kind of slump that would disappear into the story of a larger season if this happened in, say, July? You're probably right. He's pro- it's probably going to disappear further into the season as we get along. But the one thing that concerns me is, you know, and there's not a lot of sample size here, but looking at that outside pitch, that outside pitch that he's been throwing, or it's been thrown to him on the outside corner, John Scope is one for eleven on that pitch this this year, um, which is just it's just abysmal it, in in terms of it. He's hitting at for a point oh nine one slugging percentage, whereas last year the outer portion of the zone he's been he hit five twenty for his slugging percentage. So there's a huge discrepancy. Johnson Scope is not seeing the ball very well right now, and you're right. Maybe I should just attribute this to an early part of the season. But it is one month into it, and it is somewhat of a trend, and the trend is alarming is the best way to describe it. All right, well, I hope that clears up for you because I, I need Jonathan Scope to be good. Jerry Burns definitely needs it or else he's going to be owing me beer, but that's another matter. You bet against John Scope? Of course I did. <sighs> that hurts me. Yeah. That right there leaves me with conflicted emotions. Scott, I need to... I need to bear my soul on okay. another topic. And this this is this cuts deep. This cuts deep. It's it's been a weight on my shoulders, I would say, ever since opening day. Do we have to need to turn to the east to reflect on this? We may need to do that. I want to talk about Hyunsu Kim. Ah, okay. I think that Kim should have accepted a minor league assignment. I think that his major league career would have been better for it. And I think that the 2016 Orioles would have been better for it. My, my opinion doesn't hold strong enough to boo him on opening day, mostly because I have a soul. And no player deserves to be booed that on your own team, basically. Thank you. Except for Brian Mattis. But. <laughs> and it certainly doesn't hold strong enough that I have some sort of agenda when it comes to assessing Kim's performance in the early portion of the season. But I have real questions as to whether Kim can hit the fastball in the majors. There have been times that he has looked incredibly overmatched in some of his at-bats. He's also fallen victim to the shift, and my question is, can he make an adjustment? Does he have the skills necessary to, to beat the shift? Um, on, on, go ahead. on the other hand, 
Kim can only do so much, right? Yeah. I mean, he can only do so much with the opportunities that he's been given. And the results that he's, he's had so far show something different than what I'm seeing with my eyes. I am seeing squeakers and walks and soft contact. But the results, the results are a little bit different. They tell a slightly different story in 12 plate appearances. Again, only 12, a small sample size. Kim has walked twice, struck out twice, and collected five singles. Now, again, I'm not convinced in any way, shape, or form that Kim has major league talent. But I'm also starting to believe that he deserves more opportunities to either become exposed or to adjust to the league and become a useful component for the team. And, you know, I I don't know anything. So maybe Buck Showalter has it exactly right. Maybe he's playing it the right way. Maybe Kim is only appearing in situations in which he's most likely to succeed, and that's what's accounting for the fact that he's done this. But I want him moved from the big training wheels to the small training wheels. I, I'm conflicted, Scott. Help me, help me make sense of this. I guess my question would be, why can't he serve a partial role and go against pitchers that are throwing anywhere between 88 to like 93 miles per hour? That is a large contingent of the baseball population. Now, you're not going to go and throw him against like a Chris Archer who's going to be throwing up there at 95 to 97 miles per hour or Yodana Ventura. But in other instances, when a pitcher is going to only throw in the upper 80s or low 90s, it seems like it's a perfect example to put him in there as a slap hitter and say, go get on base. And in fact, the Orioles, with their long swings, have oftentimes had a hard time with slow pitchers to a certain aspect <laughs> right. and actually succeeded against fast pitchers. So, you know, if it were me, I'd be putting... Hunsu came in there a lot more than he currently is because I think he's actually demonstrated the ability to hit fastballs in that range, hit breaking balls. And I know what you're saying, you know, you don't see a lot of balls going into the gap, but he is hitting the ball with a pretty decent exit velocity and he's making it really difficult for people to make plays. That's why he gets all those infield hits because the infielders have a difficult time fielding the ball. If it's a weak contact, those infielders are going to get the ball. Can I, can I talk about real conflict? Sure. I mean, gut-wrenching emotion. Let's say the White Sox come to town and a pitcher that throws in the mid to high 80s, like say a, um, hang on, maybe like a Miguel Gonzalez Mm. is on the mound. You throw Kim there, and if that happens, who are you even rooting for? I'm rooting for Kim because Miguel Gonzalez is no longer on the Orioles, just like Steve Pierce is no longer on the Orioles. My, My emotions are conflicted. Jake, who else are you terrified about right now? Like, who are you concerned about on this team? I'm glad you used the word terror. Yes. Because, Scott, there is something keeping me up at night. Okay. I have issues. Yeah, obviously. And some of them have to do with baseball. Yeah. Can I be honest with you? Sure. I am terrified for Kevin Gosman. Now, I I haven't seen Kevin Gosman throw a pitch in 2016 before tonight, Mm -hmm. right? And I want to draw zero conclusions. But he's been pretty good tonight. Shh. Okay. Don't, don't don't pull the curtain back. Okay, but he's been pretty good tonight. Shh. Okay. I, I want to draw zero conclusions from his spring training outings or his rehab starts. Put simply, Kevin Gosman terrifies me because this staff is in shambles and we need a savior. We need a hero? We need a hero. Gosman may be the Hold latest. for a hero? In a long line of promising starters ruined by the Orioles organization. See, Arietta, comma, Jake. That hurts me. 
I want Kevin Gosman to be good so badly that it seems the only thing that would stand in the way of that happening is spite for me that fate usually throws in the way. Because you're an Orioles fan. Absolutely. What happens if Kevin Gosman only becomes a middling starter? What happens if he's been up and down so many times and he's been in the Orioles organization for so long that his development has been stymied? Of course, part of me wants to hope that Kevin Gosman comes back and becomes a credible Major League starter. And I can't put too much stock in one start, either good or bad. Look, if he came back tonight and he was dog S, I would have I would have blown it off, right? And said, oh, he's one start back. We'll see what happens next time. And he's been throwing great tonight here on Monday, uh, April 25th. But that doesn't mean anything for the, the season moving forward. If he's not going to be an ace, the one that we all assumed that he was going to be when he was drafted fourth overall, then I hope he's a solid number two pitcher. I mean, after all, there has to be somebody on our staff who doesn't implode every fifth day, right? Right? But I also feel that I need to steal my heart away to protect it from the pain of watching Gosman fail to live up to expectation and to see the Orioles' last best hope for a solid starting pitcher fade like so many before him. Or you could just accept it and just say, hey, it's going to be this way until the end of time, and that the Orioles just never are going to get good pitching. You're supposed to be making me feel better. Oh, it's impossible with Orioles pitching. It is never going to happen. Um, It is just a constant struggle day in and day out. And the fact that you actually think that the Orioles might actually even have like a number two pitcher on this team, (laughs) that's funny. Cute, but funny. But just look, what's the worst case scenario that could happen? I mean... Kevin Gossman turns into a mediocre, if not below average pitcher, and the Orioles go into a uh, you know thirteen or fourteen year old five uh, under five hundred you know run in seasons. I mean, what? How bad can it be? You've been it through it before. You can go through it again. I don't know that I can go through it again. <laughs> Here, here's something that I was thinking about today. Um, if Kevin Gossman fails to be anything, yeah, are there parallels between him and say like a Ben McDonald? Uh, it would be close. I think more Bundy would be a Ben McDonald, but Gossman, it'd be close. But I think I, w- I would probably put McDonald and Bundy on the same parallel. Um, but you know what also has been really worrying me this year has been Buck Showalter, who has been a hero in the eyes of so many since his arrival in Baltimore. And the Buck we've come to know um, does not compare with the abrasive control freak who was ushered out of New York, Arizona, and Texas, and also the opinion that a multitude of people have about Buck Showalter outside this organization. Um, but Showalter's been synonymous with the return of winning to Baltimore, directly responsible for bringing Darren O'Day to the Orioles, um, and you know the whole aspect of Buckisms that have come up, and it's just amazing to have him day in and day out bringing a little bit of specialness to Baltimore Orioles baseball uh, for the past few years. So. You know, the big trend has been Buck Walter has been great at game management. I mean, talking about the bullpen example, uh, the Orioles have been one of the top bullpens, not because of just the arms, but when Buck says, I need to bring a bullpen reliever in, in this exact situation in order to get this out, or here's exactly what I need to do to make this happen. Um, but occasionally doing 2016, I've been second guessing him to a certain regard, and it scares me from the aspect of getting Dylan Bundy up and dry humping him in the process to... Uh, bringing relievers in not soon enough or bringing in a strange reliever like TJ McFarlane with you know the bases loaded being like, why are you doing this? Uh, it just doesn't quite make sense to me about why Buckshaw Walter is doing some of these games. And to a certain point, 
you can come back to Sunday's game and point back to Buck Schroeder and say that was a bad move by Buck to bring out um, right again and not bring out the reliever. And then you come back to that previous Saturday game in, in the Rangers. And in this short season, it feels like Buck has already, I wouldn't say cost us two games, um, but it certainly has put us behind the eight ball in two games. And, you know, Buck certainly has a benefit compared to an average manager. And this year, he feels nothing more than an average manager so far this season, which is concerning to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you make sense of that um, because I think you hit the nail on the head, which is, you know, we hadn't seen anything from Buck Showalter that would have had us uh, have reason to criticize him. And not not saying that he was above criticism, but he's had a pretty good run, right? Yeah. Is this the beginning of the... Is this the end of the honeymoon or the beginning of the end of the honeymoon? You know, is this what it looked like before... He was, as you said, ushered out of other places? Or is this just us really focusing on a couple of games? And I would point out that I do it too. I have been second-guessing him way more than usual. Yeah. But he does have more information than we have as far as which relievers are available and, and whatnot when he when he keeps the, the, the starters in way, way, way too long. But this is... This is something that is uncomfortable for us. It's it's new and uh, conflicting territory. Yeah. I don't think we're on the swan song downwards. I mean, I still think Buck is a premier manager. Um, I, I'm not willing to make that. It just something is odd and feels off is the best way to describe it. And I'm hoping it goes away quickly. We need a route of escape from these feelings. We need a, a clear path forward. And the Orioles also need a clear path forward for this 2016 season. Look, the Orioles got off to a great start this season, going seven and zero. But they uh, sit eleven and six now, so they've gone five and six since then. Um, it's it's not necessarily bad, is the best way to describe it, but it certainly hasn't been good either. And it it comes back to you know when you start the season off that well, you're just like, all right, we're going to destroy everybody, and then you go right around five hundred basically against two top opponents in the Kansas City Royals and the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, and you're just like, well, what does this mean? And, you know, wh- wh- how good actually is this team? Um, but even those losses, the Orioles weren't um, outclassed by either. They just simply lost some games. I guess Sunday's game was the only game that felt like it kind of got away, basically. Um, I, I guess the question I have is, you know, is this the 2016 Baltimore Orioles that we're going to see? Um, they beat up on some lesser teams. They beat some good teams. They had some good wins. And they've taken their lumps against some other really good teams. Um, We're still really early in the season. But the question has to be, is this a winning baseball team going forward? Because right now, it's hard to tell. Yeah, I I think that uh, what we're seeing is a a good but flawed team. 
What? Right? And, and that was kind of how it was billed in the preseason, right? The question was, can this offense do enough? Can this bullpen do enough to cobble it together to get by the starting staff? And, and look, the Orioles are 11-6 and six as of you know Monday before the game ends here on April 25th. That's a good record, right? They're, they're not one of the, the league's best teams. They haven't gotten off to a, a franchise or, or league you know history uh, start. But they've been pretty good. And they've been pretty good by winning games they're supposed to win and doing okay in the rest of them. And I think this is the team that they're going to be moving forward. The real question is, will the starting pitching improve to some degree or will it continue to be an absolute abysmal mess until the bullpen falls apart? And law of averages, the folks that are involved as far as the starters are concerned, I have to say that from a from an assessment standpoint, I have to say that it's going to get better. It has to get better. And when you look at guys like Chris Tillman, right, who are not – he's not a real ace, right? He's right. not. No, let's, of course let's not. not. Let's not fool ourselves. But you have to think this is a guy who's eaten innings before. Oh yeah, yeah, he can he can get through innings. There's no question. He could easily get 180 this season. Right. And that's not to say that he's going to be a world beater. But if he can eat innings, I feel good about that. I can't believe I'm going to say it. I feel like a Baldo Jimenez is going to put together a decent set of innings this year. Yep, yeah, Giovanni Guerrero. Oh wait, my bad. That's not, not a good example. But the book is still out. Right. On this on this starting rotation. And I will say that is probably not as bad as it has been in the first 17 games. Look, I, I hate to disagree with you, but the book is the book on the starting pitching. I mean, the only question mark is Kevin Gossman. That is the only question mark. Everybody else is a complete known factor. No one is going to blow expectations up. Kevin Gossman is the only thing in the starting pitching staff that could potentially be really below average or oh my gosh, he's amazing. And I think it comes back to that is, who, who are the difference makers on this team? There is a lot of known quantities on this team. And it's going to be those difference makers, just like any season with Orioles baseball, that really make or break this team. And and, and I think Kevin Gossman is obviously that. If Kevin Gossman has a breakout season, the Orioles are going to go far. If Kevin Gossman doesn't have a breakout season, well, it was nice knowing in 2016 Orioles. But... I don't want to just put that on Kevin Gossman's shoulder. There's another breakout star, and I think we all know who we're talking about. The Orioles are going to live and die on this team with Manny Machado. Manny Machado is a bona fide superstar, and I know Orioles fans know this, and I'm preaching to the choir, but let, let's be honest here. In only 78 plate appearances so far this season, Manny Machado has a 1.6 F war. I mean, that is astounding he has a 236 weighted runs created plus Manny Machado is on pace right now to basically have uh, an 8f war which would be outstanding like I said it would be right up there with Cal Ripken's 1991 season where he was an MVP Manny Machado has been having an MVP season and if Manny Machado can continue to put together an MVP season He's going to allow Joey Ricard to basically still be able to contribute. He's going to allow Jones to still be able to contribute. And if both he can carry both of those players, great. Manny Machado is the linchpin for the entire Orioles team at this point. I'm really glad you brought up Jones because the whole time you're talking about Manny Machado, I'm thinking to myself, 
if Adam Jones doesn't have to shoulder this offense, mm-hmm. he can be an incredibly powerful, and not I don't mean homer when I say powerful. He can be an incredibly impactful offensive player. Correct. He is not absolutely 100% the guy. And to a certain part, I think we saw that with one of the games where he had three walks in one game. Adam Jones did not go up there saying, well, I'm the guy. I got to hit the home run. He said, eh, there's some guys behind me that hit pretty well. I'm just going to take my base if it's not, I'm not getting the pitches. I'm going to let somebody else try to knock me in behind me, basically. But the thing is about Jones is that once he establishes the fact that he will look at pitches, he will absolutely hurt you if you put it in the zone. Oh, yeah. I, I think that it is clear that Manny Machado will not hit almost 400 for the whole season. Oh, there's no way. And Mark Trumbo will not hit almost 400 for the whole season. Absolutely not. But Manny Machado, I agree, is the linchpin. And the question is, can the offense support when these guys go cold? In 2014, it was Nelson Cruz leading the world through his his uh, uh, offensive explosion. Oh, except for when he disappeared. Yeah. And when he disappeared, you know who it was? It was Steve Pierce that stepped up and led the offense. So the question is, when Manny Machado has his period, and we hope it's brief, when Mark Trumbo has his period of falling off the charts, is Jonathan Scope going to be able to come back and be a power player? Is Adam Jones going to be able to take the load? Is anybody else on right. this team, like a Pedro Alvarez, who I've been beating up for being completely worthless. Are these guys going to be able to step up and keep the ball rolling? Right. And hopefully that period doesn't happen with everybody else, just like it did in August, because everyone right. went absolutely cold. And hopefully that period only lasts for seven days out of the 28 days of the month. But yeah, if if only we can go uh, and have it one six-game losing streak and not a six-game losing streak followed by a win and then another six-game right. losing streak. I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, picking up what you're laying down. I, I, think you I don't think I, you picked it up, but that's okay. We can continue on. I think you and I have a serious, not a serious, you and I have a minor disagreement as far as where we think the rotation will end up by the end of the year. But I think that, that we're in agreement that the offense will continue to be world, you know, lights out. I, I think we're both on the same opinion where the where the starting pitcher is going to end up as meh. Yeah, okay. but besides that, it's going to be meh. It's going to be like a twentieth or so starting pitching staff, which is going to be like not good enough to be a, a top one, but it, it probably won't be terrible enough to hurt them long term. Basically, I'm thinking it's going to be a middling staff, a middle of the road staff. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going I'm going bottom percentile, but that's fine with me. All right, well. I think it's time we we cover some other parts of the team and who really shined and who really stunk it up in the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And look, before we get started, we are not the only ones with opinions. No. We we are we are not monopoly holders on opinions. We want you to play along. We want you to reach out to us on Twitter, hashtag O's good, hashtag O's bad, hashtag O's ugly let us know who your picks for the week are we may uh, just end up uh, stealing them from you as we prepare for the show so i'm going to start out with a good for the week and i am going to go directly to well 
I'm going to take chalk and talk about Mark Trumbo. Mark Trumbo has really been tearing it up. And if you look at just what he's done over the last seven days, uh, not including Monday's game, uh, he's got 142 weighted runs created plus a 369 Woba. He's been on base at a 400 clip. And Scotty, this is especially for you. He's third on the team in weighted win probability added. Oh, yes. Mark Trumbo is hitting the ball with authority. And when he's not hitting the ball with authority, he's getting singles anyway. He has been driving this offense uh, from the four and five hole. And it's been a real pleasure to watch hit. Well, that's a good one. Um, I think my good for the week is going to go to Brad Brock. And I think we oftentimes overlook the bullpen uh, throughout the season because they don't make a big noise. But Brad Brock really impresses me. Uh, It comes back to the whole... Yeah, it comes back to the whole situation of coming in in pivotal situations or saying, oh, this game's out of reach, but we're going to bring Brad Brock in and kind of have him work two innings and just kind of close out this game so we don't have to waste a bunch of players. Brad Brock, along with Darren O'Day and Zach Burton, really is a great three-man end of the bullpen. Brad Brock deserves a major tip of the cap. And that one game, when he ended the game, he pitched absolutely filthy. I mean, it was disgusting filthy. It was just like... No one's hitting him. Like, no one's going to even come close to hitting him at this point. The bullpen talks him up so much. It's yeah. crazy. Can can I break the rules? You can. I want to give an honorable mention. Oh, God. This is honorable mention unorthodox. in the good category. I'm going to uh, tip my cap to TJ McFarlane eating up five innings when Giovanni Gallardo went out after the second. That was a huge service to the team and the bullpen specifically. And, again, look, he's not a star but he has his value, and that was it. I uh, I was very much in favor of that appearance. Completely unorthodox, and I guess you get to go into your uh, bad now, too. <laughs> well, I, I feel like after talking about TJ McFarlane, it's, it's natural to go into the bad territory. Gotcha. My bad is Jonathan Scope. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about it completely. He's just, he doesn't have it together. And, you know, for a while there, it was, I think it was an 0 for 17 yeah. that he had. Look, the strikeouts are are down he just hasn't been able to make solid contact i hope this is one of those things it's a footnote at the end of any season but i have not been impressed with jonathan scope and i need to be yeah well my bad is going to go to a perennial favorite it's got to be brian mattis and he's only been back for a few days uh saturday was an absolute train wreck with him coming in and pitching no bueno and uh spoiler alert monday (laughs) Monday hasn't been much better, too, and I know that's kind of going into this week, but Brian Mattis is literally sinking this game into the ground. I have a plan. All right. Here's my plan. All right. All right. We're going to put him on a plane, all right, and we're going to take him to a a remote location like Alaska or uh, southern Chile, all right, and we're going to find an ice ice flow, and we're going to sit him on that, and then we're just going to push until that ice flow drifts off into the sea. Yep, absolutely worthless, Brian Mattis. Absolutely worthless. All right, my ugly for this week, and you can tell this is before Monday's game, is Pedro Alvarez. Pedro Alvarez has shown me absolutely nothing this season. And I'm sick of hearing that he has slow starts. And I'm sick of hearing that we're really going to love him in June when the weather starts to pick up. And I'm more sick of seeing him in the lineup. Pedro Alvarez has been an absolute automatic out. It has been disgusting to watch him hit weekly into the shift. 
there has been absolutely nothing of value to be gained from Pedro Alvarez being put in the lineup. And what I do not especially understand is why that's happening when somebody like, as I mentioned, uh, Hyunsoo Kim, who we need to find out about, is available. But more importantly, why a guy like uh, Nolan Reimold is available on the bench. I get the fact that he's not a lefty, but Nolan Reimold in right with Mark Trumbo hitting in the DH spot is a much stronger lineup than one in which an automatic out of Pedro Alvarez exists. I say bench Alvarez until I see something else. But you have to play him to see something, right? No, I don't. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't want to play him. He did have two doubles tonight. but that's He's cool. ugly. Okay. All right. Well, my ugly has to go to, and it's an obvious choice this week. It's got to go to Rick Adair, right? Rick Adair deserves oh, the ugliest of ugly. You know, Jake Arrieta pitches no hitter, um, and that's great for him, you know perfectly fine the orioles apparently weren't going to make it work and that's fine he needed to change the scenery and his personality was completely wrecked in his, in his whole confidence but some of the comments that zach Britton made to jeff Pisson on a, a yahoo article today just epitomize how bad the situation was with the cavalry when they came up and rick adair completely messing with their that minor league that minor league staff look i'm not saying that they would have worked out in fact you know i think some of the pitchers would have been exactly who they are. Brian Mass, I think, is going to be exactly who he's are. But pitchers like Zach Britton and Jake Arrieta and even Chris Tillman, to a certain regard, I, I think certainly got heavily impacted by Rick Adair's approach and put the Orioles staff way behind the eight ball. Uh, it, we're only left now with the aspect of what if, what if, what if. But Rick Adair... You are my Orioles ugly for this week, next week, and for eternity going forward. You ruined a very good thing, and I'm very upset with you. I think you've said it all. Yeah. I haven't said everything yet. Do we want to go ahead and blow the save? Let's blow it. So, Jake, we lost another one this week. We lost Prince. Big fan on your side? Uh, not a huge fan, but I don't want to have that misconstrued. I acknowledge immense talent. I mean, after all, it was Eric Clapton who, when asked what it felt sure. like to be the greatest guitar and uh, guitar player in the world, said, I don't know, go ask Prince. A virtuoso, a hugely talented musician, and a great loss. Correct. I, I think... It's difficult for two white boys living in the suburbs to really understand and put in perspective. But what put in perspective to me is how old we're getting that we're starting to see people from our childhood kind of start to like slowly fade away. And you're just like, God, I'm getting old. And you know what? I don't like that feeling of getting old and seeing people that I knew in my childhood and people that, you know, I listened to from my childhood just slowly pass away. So old age kind of sucks. And it's on notice. It's on notice, yeah. You know what was super weird about the Prince? So when does McCartney die? Stop it. Okay. Never. Okay. You know what was super weird about the Prince situation? Okay. Having to explain to my eight-year-old the whole Taff Cap situation. Oh. (laughs) That was a difficult drive. Well, rest in peace, but, you know, getting old is the worst. Jake, in all honesty, it's actually been some pretty decent Orioles baseball. And I know what you're, you're going to come back and say is, you know, right around 500, you could be playing a lot better. But 
I'm actually pretty optimistic so far with the Orioles right now. Hey, look, they were 500 against two good teams, and I think that when you have a rough patch of the schedule, that's what you hope for. And hey, especially on the road, they're playing yeah. great ball, and uh, and they haven't lost games that they should have in too many instances. And really, I don't feel like we're out of it in a whole lot of games, which is all you hope for. Yeah. I won't even get into run differential, but the Orioles are actually doing pretty decent in run differential, too. You had to bring it back to numbers. Had to bring it back to numbers. Brian Kenny, eat your heart out. Bowler and beyond, I have nothing left for you, so I will bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. Also, if you can get uh, Gosman some runs here, that'd be great. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.